Can we bow our heads once again and go to the Lord in prayer before we go to the Word together? Precious Savior, we do thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, another day to come and worship you and to come to your Word and to come to the foot of the cross remembering what Jesus Christ came to accomplish. And what he came to accomplish, he accomplished, and we are so grateful. Father, we thank you for your word and your goodness to us through it. I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to heed your word, to listen to it, to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you. That we'd be careful to learn as we learn from your word that we would not be careless in the application of it, that we would apply your word to our hearts and lives, and that we would see real fruit through our obedience of your word and your encouragement through the Holy Spirit. We ask for your wisdom today. Is your wisdom that unlocks the truths for us from this great book, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you, and um, don't take this the wrong way, please, but I just wanted to ask you if any of you exercise. Do any of you exercise? Some? Yeah, some of you are bold enough to raise your hand and say, I exercise, yes. The rest of you just weren't bold enough to say, yeah, I exercise. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Or are you like the guy who said, every time I get the urge to exercise, I lie down until it passes? (laughs) <laughs> you could be like the fellow who, you know, who said to his doctor, I, I drive way too fast to be concerned about cholesterol. <laughs> there may be some of us who, you know, the only exercise we get is, is the exercise we get when we jump to conclusions, but that was bad, wasn't it? We all know, don't we, that exercise is important, whether we practice exercise or not. We know that exercise is important for our all-around well-being and healthiness, right? Exercise is important. The question, of course, is are we doing anything about what we know, right? Are we doing anything about it? Are we exercising? You could, you could be like that guy who was more concerned that you know he would be taken out of this world because he was a, a speeder rather than the fellow who was concerned you know be, rather than being concerned about his cholesterol and ignore your exercise. But there are great benefits to exercising, aren't there? I um, I enjoy lifting weights as a form of exercise. It would be nice if that was apparent, but um, let me just tell you that that I enjoy lifting weights because it does several things for me. I benefit greatly from from my method of, of uh, lifting heavy weight, I like to try to lift really heavy weight, and I like to do it in such a way that I don't kill myself, so I don't go overboard. So I try to do repetitions that, that range from about eight repetitions to 20 repetitions. So you get the idea that I lift, I'd like to lift heavy weight, but it's very relative. It's heavy for me, okay? It's really heavy for me. It may not be heavy for some of you, but... But I like that. It makes me feel much better. The benefits of exercising regularly are very noticeable to me. I notice that I feel much better when I'm doing that faithfully. I notice that I have more energy, believe it or not. Those of you who don't exercise would be surprised to find out that if you did exercise, you'd actually have more energy rather than less. I can think more clearly. 
when I'm exercising regularly. I handle stress better, stressful situations and stress better. I actually sleep better when I'm exercising regularly and when I'm consistent in that. And there's something else. For those of you who have ever tried to lift weights, you might have stopped after your first, um, your first session because it was painful. The next day and a couple of days after that, your muscles were very sore and you said, hey, lifting weights is not for me. That's painful. The problem is, is you gave up too soon. You quit too early because when I'm consistent, one of the benefits to lifting regularly is that after I lift, I don't get sore. If I'm faithful, if I'm consistent to lift a couple of times a week, I don't get sore anymore. I I get really tired and my family sometimes will look at me and go, did you just lift weights? Because I'm going, oh. But it's a good tired, you know, and if I do that early in the morning, by late in the day, I feel much better. I'm not as tired. And if if I do it late in the day, sleep takes care of that tiredness, does it? It's a good exercise-induced tiredness. Now, when I don't exercise faithfully, like just this week I lifted weights again, and I hadn't for about three weeks, which is not good. Because the rest of the week I was walking around like, you know, this, sore legs, sore arms, sore joints, and all this good stuff. But if I'm faithful, if I'm regular and consistent, I don't get sore anymore because my body kind of adapts and it gets used to that. Now, I want you to take those thoughts about exercise and apply them to how we ought to be exercising our unity as a body of believers. I want, to, I want you to think about the parallels to physical exercise and the benefits to physical exercise and the, and the benefits to being practiced up and consistent in practicing our unity. And, and think about those in parallel to how, they, how, we, how we are physically. When we exercise physically, there are great benefits to that. When we're consistent, there are even more benefits to our exercise. Well, for the church and for unity and for those who follow Christ, It is to our benefit to exercise our unity, to be practiced up, to be in a consistent mode of practicing our unity. I see unity in the body of Christ. You might be saying, well, what's unity and how does that apply to me as a follower of Christ and how does it apply to the church? I see unity in the body of Christ as, and here's just my little definition. It might be helpful to you. I see unity in the body of Christ as regularly Practicing a charitable, tender-hearted, compassionate willingness to get along without compromising sound doctrine. That's an important thought, too, at the end, because we could say, well, let's just get along. Let's ignore what the gospel says. Let's be careful we don't offend anyone with the truths of the scriptures, because that might hurt somebody's feelings. Let's just get along. And that's not good doctrine. That's not sound doctrine. We're really doing more harm than good. So I say unity in the body of Christ, in the body being the church, believers who make up the church. Unity in the body of the Christ is regularly practicing a charitable, tender-hearted, compassionate willingness to get along without sacrificing, without compromising sound doctrine. Does that make sense? I think that's unity in the church as we... As we strive to be the church who glorifies God and works together for the accomplishment of eternal purposes and advancing the cause of Christ, I think that definition of unity will will serve us well. But I want you to note here where our foundation for unity is. I mean, we could strive for regularly practicing charitable, tender-hearted, compassionate willingness to get along without compromising sound doctrine. We could practice that. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Don't, don't, don't worry about trying to say that again. 
or even writing it down. But we could try that. And if we ignore where our foundation is, we'll be empty-handed. We'll be without our source of ability, without our source of power to accomplish unity. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're not going to stay here because we're actually continuing our study in Acts chapter 21. But I want you to begin with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning because there's a passage here that I want you to see. And then we'll move on and we're going to look at another passage before we go to our Acts passage this morning. Because I think it's important that we set up and important to get the big idea, the big picture of what unity should look like and what we're up against in the church and how we, how we come together in the body of Christ. Because as we travel through the remaining verses of Acts chapter 21, we're going to see how Paul practiced unity in the church and how others balanced that and practiced unity in the church and, and some of the challenges that they faced. But first, I want you to see our foundation for unity. Our foundation for unity is in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 12 with me, where it says, For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are are one body, so also is Christ. All the body, many members, are one body in Christ. Alright, now skip down to verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, members of Christ individually who make up the body of Christ. Here on earth, we are the body of Christ doing the work of Jesus Christ. I say that because I want you to understand that unity is all, is all founded on Christ. Our, our source of unity is Jesus Christ. Our foundation for unity is Jesus Christ. Believers have the Holy Spirit at work in them, so... In that respect, the basis for our unity as believers is automatic. But the practice of unity, and you know this, don't you? The practice of unity isn't automatic, is it? Our foundation for unity is automatic. It's a given. It's Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, our foundation for unity, what draws us together as a body of believers, is Jesus Christ. But the practice of unity doesn't come so naturally, does it? It is not automatic. There will be times in the life of the church and in the life of the follower of Christ where unity will be a natural outflowing of, of the unity that we have in Christ. But there will be other times when unity doesn't come so easily, and it will take some effort on the part of the believer to practice unity. Since unity isn't necessarily automatic, I say it's important that we exercise our unity. It's like physical exercise. I think in, in paralleling that as an illustration, if you are faithful in exercising, or if you're unfaithful in exercising like me, and you come back to the weights and you lift heavy weights and you go, oh, I'm, I'm in pain for two or three days because I haven't been consistent. There's that possibility when there comes a time in the life of the body when you have to practice unity and we're almost forced to practice unity, that it can be a painful thing. So I say let's exercise our unity. Let's work at exercising and being practiced up in our unity. So the foundation, Jesus Christ. That's where our unity begins. It's a, it's a given. It's a natural because followers of Christ have unity in Jesus Christ. But then that practice has to flow from that. And that practice doesn't necessarily come naturally. 
Now, there are benefits to the believers and the body of Christ. There are benefits to practicing our unity and exercising our unity. There are benefits for the body as a collective unit of believers, and there are benefits for the individual believers as well. And as we, as we seek to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as Ephesians 4, 3 says, if we, as, we, as we seek to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we're going to benefit from that as a church. We're going to benefit from that as individual believers. As a matter of fact, I want you to travel with me to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment, several moments, as we look at a few verses here in Ephesians chapter 4, because again, laying this foundation for our unity is, is critical as we come back to the Acts chapter here a little later. There are benefits to the believers and to the body of Christ, the church, when we seek to keep the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. That from Ephesians 4.3. And that's just what Paul was encouraging the Ephesian believers with. Now, go to verse 1 with me in Ephesians 4. And let me read for you to put this verse into context that I just read from verse 3. Verse 1, chapter 4, Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering. These are all ways that will help you in your unity. Okay, don't miss that with verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And continue with me, verses 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So there are benefits to us exercising our unity. What are the benefits? Well, the unity advances the cause of Christ. And you can think of the adverse of that. If we aren't unified, we're not advancing the cause of Christ. As a matter of fact, we're doing something to hinder the cause of Christ. If we call ourselves the body of Christ and we don't do something to advance the cause of Christ, then we actually hinder and hurt the cause of Christ. Unity advances the cause of Christ. Continue with me in Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's talking all about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity and advancing the cause of Christ in that, which leads to another benefit of exercising our unity, and that is that it promotes spiritual growth. Continue with me, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or teaching and instructing, for the edifying of itself in love. You see that? Practicing, exercising our unity 
advances the cause of Christ and advances and promotes spiritual growth. And it's a cycle. Spiritual growth promotes the advancement of the gospel of Christ and promotes unity. And the spiritual growth of the church is what Paul had in mind when he warned the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, that they not let go of Christ the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. You see, when the church body is functioning properly and everyone is doing their part, the whole body of believers enjoys a unity that encourages spiritual maturity and becoming more like Christ, we advance the cause of Christ. But like the sore muscles after sporadic exercise, there's, there's a price to pay for a failure to exercise unity, isn't there? And you know there are times in in your life as a follower of Christ, if you've been a believer long enough, you know that there are times when you've had to practice union, where you've come to the point where you've had to hurdle some barriers and and, and get over some hurdles and barriers to to actually practice unity, and and it's not been a pleasant situation because maybe there's a difficulty or a disagreement or a heartbreak or or a broken relationship, and you realize that, that you had to come together and practice unity, and it was a painful thing to get over some of those Hurdles. So I say, if we aren't in the habit of regularly practicing a charitable and tender-hearted and compassionate willingness to get along without compromising our sound doctrine, then when we are forced to face the need to practice unity, it can hurt at times. It can be painful. So there's another benefit. Stay in the habit. Stay practiced up. Exercise your unity. Now, we know there's challenges to unity, though, aren't there? And you might think, well, you know, I've got all these. There, there are things that make it hard to be unified. I, I understand our foundation is in, in Christ. I, that's good. I, I'm glad our foundation is in, is in Christ, but I'm, I'm struggling to be unified in some areas, and, and there are hurdles and there are barriers and there are hindrances to those. I want you to be aware of some of the hindrances. I want you to think about some of the hindrances to unity for, for the very real problem that there is, there's a very real problem in this world, and that is Satan who would like to hinder our unity, who would like to divide us and separate us and keep us from being unified as a body of believers. There, there are challenges that we face. That is a very real challenge, a very real problem that I, that I think that we need to prepare for. Satan is at work in this world trying to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in you and me, in the work of the church. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a kitty cat. Wrong. Like a roaring lion. You know it says that. It says the, he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's a wonderful word picture, which ought to make you realize how serious This problem is with Satan walking about as a roaring lion looking for people's lives to devour and destroy. Satan is not satisfied with you just being a little dissatisfied with with others and how maybe they treat. They want you to be, Satan wants you to be angry and, and cantankerous and he wants you to resist what God is doing in your heart and he wants you to resist the work of the church and he wants to tear the church apart and he wants to destroy believers' lives. That's why 1 Peter 5.8 says to be sober and to be vigilant. Wake up, be ready, be prepared, be vigilant. It almost gives you the idea that there's a militant p- 
picture to this. You need to have the military mindset in your Christian walk. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Satan is a very real hindrance and a very real challenge to our unity. Be aware of it. Well, how do you deal with that adversary, the devil? Well, we resist him depending completely on the power of God at work in us. I don't say resist the the devil without depending on God. You don't do that. You don't resist the devil without your complete dependence being upon God. Because you cannot resist the devil. Only God's power can help you resist the devil. If you continue with me, I I read to you 1 Peter 5.8. Verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood. There's that unity again. By your brotherhood in the world. And verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's the work that God is going to do to help you resist Satan. He's going to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So depend on God's power, on God's strength to resist the work of Satan in tearing you apart with other, from other believers. Practice your unity. Exercise your unity. And face the very real challenges that you face. There's another challenge to our unity, and that is the fact that we are all from different backgrounds and upbringing, aren't we? We're all from different backgrounds, different upbringing. It's a very real challenge to our unity. We each come from different backgrounds, different kinds of uh, being raised, uh, different kinds of upbringing, which we each may have uh, very differing views of life and differing views of, of practices prior to trusting Christ. And those differences can carry over into our life as a believer and into the life of the church and Practices that we held prior to coming to Christ, carried into the Christian life, can cause us to have real and legitimate questions about how we're to continue or discontinue those practices. And so our background and our upbringing can cause uh, difficulty for us when it comes to our unity. There's even the possibility of religious practice, and I say religious practice without regard for the truth of the word to change the life, being a challenge to our unity. You know, there are some who, who say, well, I, you know, I have this religious practice. I don't really read the Bible that much. I don't really trust in Christ. God's not really doing a work in me, but I have this religious practice. And that religious practice is separated from a relationship in Jesus Christ. And sometimes those religious practices can be a, a real challenge to our unity. We, we could hold to mere religious practice and have no real fellowship with God through the Word and prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit to change us from being mere religion keepers from being just mere religious religion keepers to being word keepers, being obedient to God's word and truth keepers. You see, with just a, if if we allow religious practices without being connected to a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, sometimes those can be a divisive thing for us, and those can those kinds of things can divide us and keep us from being unified. Another challenge to our unity as believers is the clash of strong personalities. Sometimes there's Folks who have come to faith in Christ, and now they have to learn to promote unity rather than promoting self, right? Before we knew Christ, we were self-centered and individualistic and maybe a strong personality. We've got to learn how to get over that and begin to practice unity. And that, that can be a real hindrance to our unity and a challenge to our unity. 
There's another challenge to our unity. We'll always have to deal with the fact that we're not all at the same place spiritually. We're not all at the same place spiritually. Now, that's certainly not to say that some Christians are superior to others because it's just the very nature of the church. We're all at different stages spiritual, different levels of spiritual growth, and that's part of the way the church is made up. We are all going to be that way. Different levels of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. There are all various levels of learning, and some hold to different religious traditions than others do. So our unity can be challenged. Now, I've said all that to say as we come back to Acts chapter 21, we concluded, as we concluded our study in Acts 21 verse 17 last week with Paul and his ministry partners, they arrived in Jerusalem to the, to the, to the glad welcome of the brethren there. And in the verses that follow, we find all of those things, all of those things I just mentioned that can challenge our unity, we find all of those things in the verses that follow verse 17. In those verses that follow, we find all of these challenges to the unity of the church that I just highlighted. And we can face some of those same challenges to our unity as a body of believers. Now, as we continue our study in Acts 21, that was a long introduction, I understand, but I think it's important to get the foundation for our unity in place as we see how Paul dealt with some issues here. Now, as we continue our study, Acts 21, turn there with me, please. We're going to see some of these challenges to unity, and we're going to see how Paul and the others responded to them. Now, this morning, my intent is just to, again, continue to lay this foundation for unity, because in the first few verses we're going to look at this morning, we see how they were actually exercising their unity together. All right? So verse 17, let's begin there. We ended there last week. We'll begin there again this week. Note how they were exercising their unity as I read, and I'll come back and highlight some things. Verse 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And just the first part of verse 20. And when they heard it, They glorified the Lord. When Paul and the others, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they went together to meet with the elders of the church, and Paul began sharing with them in great detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now I want you to note their exercising of unity here, and a very key ingredient to unity is that there was no self-promotion. Here's a key ingredient to unity. If you want to know how to exercise your unity in the body of believers, the church, there's, there will be a lack of self-promotion. There's no self-promotion. You see, believers who long for unity don't promote themselves. Charles Spurgeon noted that this world swarms with idols. Man is such an idolater that if he cannot idolize anything else, he will idolize himself and set himself up and bow down and worship himself. We tend to do that, don't we? We tend to naturally want to, to bring attention to ourselves and get glory for ourselves. But for the believer who is properly oriented in the body of believers who wants to bring unity, that believer will not promote himself. There will be no self-promotion, and there wasn't in Paul. That's exactly what we don't see in Paul. Paul gives the details of what God had done. Look at verse 19. 
When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done. It doesn't say which Paul had done, does it? Paul was a tool in the hand of God to be used for God's glory. Paul doesn't bring glory to himself. He's doing what he can to bring glory to God, isn't he? So that's a very important key ingredient to unity. There will be no self-promotion. I want you to see another negative, that there will be no room for jealousy. It's another key ingredient to unity, not being jealous of each other. Jealousy can be, a, be so destructive and be such a destructive ingredient when it comes to a group of people. Even just between two people, jealousy can be very destructive. The story is told of two shopkeepers who were bitter rivals. And their stores were directly across the street from each other, and they would spend each day keeping track of each other's businesses. And if one got a customer, he would smile and triumph at his rival. I got a customer, and you don't, you know. One night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers in a dream and said, I'll give you anything you ask for, but whatever you receive, your competitor is going to receive twice as much. Would you be rich? You can be very rich, but he will be twice as wealthy. Do you wish to live a long life and a long and healthy life? You can, but his life will be longer and healthier. What is your desire? The man kind of furled his brow, frowned, thought for a moment, and then he said, Here's my request. Strike him blind in one eye. Well, strike me blind in one eye, he said. It's jealousy is like that, isn't it? It gets us to the point where we would say, okay, take, take one of my eyes. If it means that he's going to be blind in both eyes, I'll be blind in one eye. That's all right with me. It kind of hinders, hinders the, the growth in our own lives, doesn't it, big time. That's the danger of jealousy. Jealousy is, is kind of a silly story, isn't it? But jealousy can be at, at, the, at the root of so many problems. Often when there's a lack of unity, when you begin to get to the root of it, you find that there's attached at the root some jealousy often. I want you to note that Paul related not what he had accomplished. Paul wasn't interested in relating to the people what he had accomplished. He wanted people to see what God had accomplished. And he wanted people to see what God had done through his ministry, but it was what God had accomplished. He wasn't about bringing the spotlight to himself. He gave great glory to God, and they glorified the Lord. There's a picture of their unity. They glorified the Lord. They were not of a jealous mindset that envied Paul for what God had accomplished through his ministry. They didn't sit back and go, well, great, you know, that's how God used you, but why, why isn't he using us that way? You don't see that. They glorified God together with Paul for what God was doing through Paul's ministry. So there's no room for jealousy, is there? If we want to be unified as a body of believers, we need to be careful that Satan doesn't get a foothold in our hearts and minds that way. It's important to remember that as we minister together, we, we serve together for the sake of the gospel for the sake of God's glory. We serve together for God's glory, not our own. There's another key to unity that I see here, and it's learning to rejoice with each other. 
It kind of goes along with the lack of jealousy thing. You know, if you're jealous of others, it's very hard to rejoice with them when, think, when good things come to them and they have an opportunity to praise God for something. It's kind of hard to go, well, pff, you know, great, you know. That didn't happen to me. And we just don't praise God with people. But if you're exercising your unity, you will be learning how to rejoice with others. You'll learn how to rejoice with those who rejoice, won't you? You see, exercising unity means learning to genuinely, wholeheartedly rejoice with one another. And when we genuinely rejoice with one another, we give proper glory to God, don't we? We bring glory to God. We don't take any for ourselves. We're reflecting the image of Christ and and we're deflecting the glory and we're sending it to God. You know, our genuine heart of rejoicing with each other is going to leave no room for self-promotion and no room for envy and jealousy. There's a, a very special, very true and sweet fellowship seen here in the telling of and the rejoicing over what God has been doing with Paul's ministry, isn't there? As you look at these verses again, you see that there's a sweet fellowship there. Fellowship and rejoicing with other believers is is a wonderful exercise in unity that greatly benefits the spiritual growth of the church and greatly benefits the spiritual growth of the individual believers. Are we practicing our, our fellowship together and rejoicing with one another over what God is doing? Practice your unity. Practice and exercise your unity in glorifying God together and truly rejoicing together. I would just ask this morning, are we exercising our unity? Are we taking our unity very seriously, as seriously as God does, and His Word takes it very seriously? Are we learning to genuinely rejoice with one another? Are we, are we very serious about giving glory to God, not taking glory for ourselves? Are we very serious about not being jealous of others and what God is doing in and amongst them? Leaving no room for self-promotion and no room for envy and jealousy. Are we very serious about exercising our unity? I think if we want to be profitable for God's kingdom in the Higgins Lake area and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ where we live and around the world, we need to grasp how important it is that we be unified as believers, founded on that foundation of Jesus Christ, but taking steps to actually exercise our unity together being practiced up in it. I think we must learn together to regularly practice that charitable, tender-hearted, compassionate willingness to get along without compromising sound doctrine. Why is our unity as a church so important? Well, it's as I said at the beginning, our unity as a church and as God's children is so important because unity advances the cause of Christ. That's what we ought to be all about, advancing the cause of Christ, making sure that the world that we live in knows about Jesus Christ. And our unity helps advance that cause. The adverse is also true. If we are not unified, if we have a lack of unity, that does not promote the cause of Christ. It does something to hurt the cause of Christ. Why is unity in the church so important? Why is it so important that God's children exercise unity while unity promotes spiritual growth, not only in your lives but in the lives of others, not in your life alone, but in the life of the church? Spiritual growth as a 
as a whole, as a body of believers collectively, as we come together, we begin to be encouraged and, and admonished when need be and corrected and, and pointed toward Jesus Christ. And growing spiritually, unity promotes spiritual growth. The adverse is also true. Where there is a lack of unity, there will be a slide away from spiritual growth. There will be a slide away from things that please and glorify God. There will be a slide away from the truths of God's word. Unity is critical for the life of the church. Unity brings great glory to God. And a lack of unity brings great shame to the name of God. Important that we take it seriously, isn't it? There's more to the story. We're going to look at it tonight. I hope you'll be back for a time of fellowship with us tonight and worship around God's Word. But I hope you begin to exercise your unity and begin to understand how serious it is that as a body of believers we take unity very seriously, founded on Jesus Christ, based on His Word, encouraged by His Spirit, strengthened by God's work in us and through us and collectively as a body of Christ. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Father, I pray that each follower of Christ this morning would would take great joy and hope and encouragement in knowing that our foundation for unity as a body of believers is in Jesus Christ. It's not in our own strength and wisdom, because if it were, we would not be unified. But it is in Jesus Christ. And we, we return to that foundation of Christ and take great hope and encouragement and strength and wisdom in knowing that the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer empowers us to be a people who are unified when we are yielded to you and your work. But Lord, when we get envious and when we get selfish promoting ourselves and when we fail to rejoice with one another, the unity slips away. And Father, we pray that you would help us to guard against that. We know that there is resistance from Satan in this world to divide us and to keep us from being the church that you want us to be and keep us from being the believers that you want us to be. But we ask for your wisdom and your power. And Lord, may we have the grace to yield to you and your work in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.